0: Well, while I grab a chair over here, and I do have a reason for it, I promise. I'd just like to say welcome to all of you who are here in the sanctuary with me today. Uh, It's good to be here. My name is Danny. I'm an intern uh, here at First Lutheran, and I've said this before, but really, that's just code for luckiest person on the planet, uh, because I get to hang out with you all. And I want to say hi to those of you who are across the hall in the Fellowship Hall in our contemporary service, and to anyone who's watching online, uh, it's really good to be together. I'm glad that we can worship together this morning. We're going through this series called Too Good to Be True. Um, and as Pastor Steve said last week, it's too good to be true is the name of it, but really it's too good to be crossed out and then true. So I mean, maybe the title of this series is true, too good to be true, forget the too good, you get what I'm saying, right? So in this series, we're trying to take a look at Scripture. We're trying to help all of us better understand what Scripture says, why it's important for our lives, what it can do for our lives, what it tells us about God, what it tells us about being about the people of God, and why it's trustworthy. And so, we're going through four different passages. Last week, Pastor Steve took you through an Old Testament uh, narrative story. Uh, This week, I'm looking at the book of Isaiah, specifically chapter 1. We'll be, over the next couple of weeks, looking at a gospel story, and then the week after that, we'll be looking at a letter. And the point of this, like I said, is to learn more about God. Who is he? And then also to learn more about who we are as his people. So this week, like I said, we're landing on Isaiah. Isaiah is a prophetic book in the Old Testament. Now, before we get started, I just want to make sure that we clarify, what is prophecy? What is a prophetic book? Well, a prophetic book is a book in the Old Testament that covers and records the prophecies of an Old Testament prophet. Seems to make sense, right? Well, a prophet is someone who would observe the world around them, they would see what was happening, and God would speak to them and give the word. And oftentimes this word had to do with what was happening around them. Sometimes it had to do with the future, But most of the time it had to do with what was happening around them. That can be confusing. Oftentimes we hear the word prophecy and we think, okay, uh, future. They're just predicting what's going to happen. But it's important to remember that prophets, oftentimes when they're talking, they're actually talking directly to the people who are in front of them in their current events and they're giving them the word of the Lord that was given to them. So prophet, they receive the word of the Lord. Prophecy, it's that word from the Lord for people to hear. And so we ask that question, okay, well, what's the point of reading this passage? What does this have anything to do with me if their prophecies are just for their current events, if it was intended for their audience? Well, let's not forget what scripture says. In Ecclesiastes, we read, there's nothing new under the sun. Everything's happened before. When we're learning things, we're we're not creating something, we're uncovering it. What was happening then is something that can be directly applied to what's happening now. It's important to see it through the lens of us as Christians today. We look back at these prophecies through the lens of knowing that Christ is risen from the dead. But we most certainly know that it can be applied today. Nothing's new under the sun. What they're dealing with are things that we're dealing with today. We're not creating something new, we're uncovering things. This doesn't even have to necessarily just be in scripture to know that that's true. When we're answering all these questions in our lives, when we're studying, when, when we're coming up with new math equations, we're not creating something new, we're uncovering things. When we're learning more about science, we're, we're not developing new ideas, we're finding out how to heal people. We're finding out how things can come together and be built and how they can support a building and support people within that. We're figuring that out. We're not creating those ideas. We're uncovering those ideas. Those important questions. What and how? We know the answers are out there, and so we try to go out and find them. The same thing can be applied into Scripture. But I would argue that Scripture is asking some more important questions. What and how? Yes, very important. What and how? Necessary questions to answer. What and how? F- they're fun questions to answer. But the questions that the Bible really takes us at is why and who? Why am I here? Who put me here? In these prophecies, we get great insight into that. As Christians, we believe what well, God put us here. He gave me a seat. He gave me a place. So I've taken it. I'm sitting. But that doesn't totally satisfy you, does it? Why do I have this place? Hmm. Can I ask you that question today? Why are you here? And that can be really broad. I get it. <laughs> Why do I exist? But I'm going to ask that in a really narrow question right now. a really narrow way right now. Why are you in this room? Why are you willing to sit here and listen to my voice, of all people? That, I don't know. If you're across the hall, why are you there? If you're listening to me and you're watching me on a screen online right now, why? Why are you doing what you're doing right now? Why are you here? Why are you doing church today? Whether you're in this room, across the hall, watching, I'm like, why? My prayer is that it's so that you can know God, that you can encounter Him, experience Him, know His heart. But come on, (laughs) I've already got my seat, I feel pretty comfortable. So I'm I'm filling my seat. Have you ever done this? When when it just turns into a routine, when you just become a placeholder. I've done it. When my faith becomes very surface level. I'm here because, well, frankly, I've been given this place. It's fantastic. I have the opportunity. Why not sit in it? And hey, it's a bucket list. It's a checklist thing. I'm I'm here in church. I look better in front of God. Well, I look better in front of the people who are here, and I know who wasn't here last week. Is that what Christianity is all about? Is that what Scripture teaches us? Oh, I hope there's more. I believe there's more. I believe that God wants more. God wants more from his people than just ritual, just showing up, just going through the motions. And that's where we find our place in Isaiah today. So if you've got a Bible with you, I invite you to take that out right now. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you, you can check it in on your phone. Uh, Last week, Pastor C was showing us how to download those apps. If you have that app, check that out. Um, if you don't have a Bible or if you don't have a phone that has access to that, uh, we're gonna, I'm going to invite our ushers to pass out some Bibles. Just let them know. They're going to be walking down the aisles. Uh, don't worry. You won't distract me. Um, and even if you do, you're getting a Bible. So that's fine. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to open up to Isaiah chapter 1. If you've got this Bible right here, these are the Bibles that we have in the back of our sanctuary. Uh, we invite you to grab those every single week. Um, we are on page 987. Now, if you are in a different translation, if you're in a different form, uh, that's totally fine. Just go to about here. I don't know how else to say that. It's not going to be page 987. Um, But if you open up to about halfway in your book, you're usually at about Isaiah. Find chapter 1. So, it's important to find out some context of what's happening. Isaiah is a prophet. We talked about what prophetic text is, what the prophetic books are, and what a prophecy is. And Isaiah has a word from the Lord to tell the people surrounding him in his current time. And prophecies are not always pleasant. Perhaps you already knew that. And that's why prophecies can sometimes be hard to hear. And so hear what Isaiah has to say to the people of Israel. Let's get some context here. In Isaiah 1.1, This, the vision, the vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amos, was, uh, saw during the reign of, and there's a lot of kings names that I can totally pronounce. I'm just not going to do it right now. (laughs) Jotham, uh aha, yeah, whatever. All right. And so that gives us a little bit of context. If you want to check this out more in detail, what was happening that time, go over to 2 Kings, starting about chapter 15. Uh, We don't have time to go into that today, but that kind of sets a context. What has happened is Israel, God's people, are splitting up. The northern kingdom is living really sinfully. The southern kingdom, Judah, they're headed in the same direction. Isaiah is talking to the people of Judah. And so Isaiah says to God's people, Hear me, you heavens, listen, earth, for the, Lord God ha- for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, the donkey its owner's manger. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Israel is a broken people. God's heart is broken too. They're not getting something. They're rebelling against him. Things are going wrong. Don't misunderstand. This is pretty insulting. It's righteously insulting. They deserve it, but it's insulting. God compares them to a donkey and calls them less than that. I'm not going to say what we say for donkey today, but if you call someone a donkey, you're not complimenting them. And it doesn't get much better. Woeful to the sinful nation, woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. Well, now we're starting to understand that heartbreak a little bit. These are God's kids who He's reared. <laughs> he has supported them. He's held them. He's nurtured them into who they are and into who they're supposed to be. He's their children, and they've turned their backs on him and given themselves to corruption. If you're a parent, I think you probably know what that feels like. I'm not a parent, but I do have parents who know what that feels like because of me. I'll let you use your imagination. I've turned my back on my parents. And do you know that feeling when you know that you've hurt someone? Do you know that feeling when you've been hurt? And maybe you didn't even realize it, if you're the one hurting, until you see it in their eyes, or until they're able to express it to you? Oh, you know that feeling, right? That's heartbreaking. Especially when it's someone who is of value to you. So someone who values you. This should be heartbreaking for the Israelites. This should be heartbreaking for the nation of Judah. And so we read on. Because if you only read that part right there, this is why we're going through all sorts of scripture. It's important to get the big story to really know what's happening. And if you only stop there, you might think, well, God's just kind of being a little whiny right now. (laughs) He just wants attention. Well, yeah, God wants attention from his kids. He wants them to love him back. But hear this. Now we're in verse 5. Why should you be beaten anymore? Why do you persist rebellion? Your whole head is injured. Your whole heart afflicted. You're the ones who are hurt. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness, only wounds and welts and open sores. Gross. Not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with olive oil. Can you imagine when you're a child and you're learning how to ride a bike and you fall down, you scrape your knee and the blood's running down and just getting back up on the bike and doing it over and over and over and over again? I mean, I get it. Some kids do it more than others because you know, they're determined and maybe may stubborn. But after a while, the child needs to, please bandage me up, Please. The people are the ones being hurt. It's not that God needs them. He wants them. He's hurt because he cares about them so much that when he sees that they're missing what they need more than anything, that's why he's hurt. That's why he's broken. They've fallen away from him. So, what do you do when you know you've hurt someone that cares about you? You try to make it up to them. I'm back. I mean, I know you saw what I did all week, but I'm here on Sunday morning. Fill in the seat that you have for me, right? This is good. I'm comfortable. You comfortable? I'm comfortable. You ever get a gift that has no meaning behind it? (laughs) Let's read about that. We're going to skip to verse 10. Again, still in Isaiah 1. It's the people trying to make up for what they've done wrong to God just by filling the seat. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah. You might remember, and if you don't know, Sodom and Gomorrah were these terribly evil cities. Completely corrupt. Completely wrong. And God's calling his own people that right now. Understand this. You're no better. Do you see how far you've fallen away from me? Remember that story? Reality check. That's that's where you're going. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you? This trampling of my courts. Stop bringing me meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and appointed festivals I hate with all my being. God, I'm giving you a gift and you hate it? (laughs) They've become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands open in prayer, I, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. You show up to church, you fill the seat. I've been guilty of that. I look really nice, you know, I, I dressed up, I put on my, my Sunday's best. You know, when I was a kid, I would see my dad wear a robe or an alb most weekends. He's a pastor. And so the first time that I got to put this on, it was a pretty surreal feeling. I totally took a selfie in the mirror and sent it to my parents and grandparents. Look at me now. <laughs> I think the remark was, get a stole someday, then we'll talk. <laughs> Earn your stripes. Okay. See how nice I look? Now, what's underneath? It's not about how you look on the outside. God wants to know what's on the inside. Here's the secret. He does know. He sees it. Are you willing to be honest about it? Or are you just going to try to keep on covering it up? I can put on this alb every single week. <laughs> and cover what's underneath. And pretend like it's not real. Pretend like it's not happening. Just keep on doing the same thing over and over and over again. Beating my head against the same wall. Falling off the bike, scraping my knee, and doing it again. Leaving my sores uncovered. I can be honest with God. See, God's not listening to these prayers because, do you know what it's like to listen to a hypocrite, right? Right? Well, God, how dare you shut me off? Well, you don't mean anything you're telling me. This isn't a healthy relationship. Have you ever had somebody betray you? You know, when you find out like, oh, you told me one thing, but you did another. You told me one thing, but you said something else to someone else about me, and it made me look pretty terrible. You told me you care about me, but you told somebody else that you hate my guts. You told me you were going to do something for me and you broke it even though I've done everything for you. That's what God is saying to his people. How can I listen to your prayers? I can't, I can't listen to those. I plug my ears. Sit in that seat all you want. Bring all the gifts you need that you think are going to help you. But they're meaningless to me, God says. It's of no significance. It's become a burden. It wasn't that long ago when I got invited to a wedding by a friend of mine, and I was pretty excited about getting invited to that. I'm like, oh, it's really nice. I thought it was interesting because he called me to invite me instead of like saying me a save the date and this wedding was going to be in a couple weeks and I knew that he had been engaged for like six months. So I'm kind of like, oh, that's kind of weird. I every I'm invited. That's really nice. And so I'm like, wow, thank you. He said, yeah, you know, there aren't a lot of seats, but uh, I want to make sure we invited you. Well, thank you. I must mean a lot to you. Well, he goes, actually, we had like seven people drop out. And so you were more of a backup backup. But we had an empty seat, and so we just thought, maybe, just maybe, you probably have nothing going on. <laughs> so why do just take that seat? <laughs> I will take the seat and eat your cake, <laughs> but it means nothing to me. <laughs> See, God's not going to waste your time eating the bogus cake that you're offering him. It means nothing to him. You really think God needs you in that seat? No, you need to be in that seat. No, you need to be experiencing God. Do you really think God needs your money? He's God. He'll work how he wants to work. He'll find a way. No, no, that's for you. That's for you to be freed from the burden of money. I'm just going to come up for communion, go through the the motions. I'll do the job. But if you're really knowing God, really experiencing God, then you know, I'm walking forward with everything I have. I'm being completely honest in God. I'm giving it to you. Right now, I'm giving it to you. And I'm meeting you at your altar. I'm meeting you at the table. And I'm accepting your forgiveness. I'm remembering who you are. I'm remembering what you did for me. Well, that's a gift. Give with a joyful heart. Not because you have to. God doesn't want that. So, what does God want? I mean, how do you love a God who's perfect? How can you know a God who's perfect? It's not just by coming to church. It helps. But you could sit in this chair and plug your ears and you'd still be here. When I go home and I visit my parents in Des Moines, I could spend every single day in my room. I'd be in the house. I'd cross their path every now and then. But until I sit with them and talk with them and catch up with them, We're not growing together. How do you know a God who's perfect? How do you love a God who's perfect? How do you offer anything to him? I haven't been offered many babysitting jobs in my life. I don't know why. I think I'm trustworthy. But I've had a few. And the thing that I've learned is the best way to show a parent that you care about them is by loving their kids, by taking care of them. Hear what God says. Wash and make yourselves clean. You want to know how you love me? This is how you do it. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. You know it's wrong. You know what sin is? It's thinking you know better than God. God. You know how silly that sounds? I know how silly it sounds because I hear it a lot. (laughs) I've been there. I don't know better than God. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Give up your old ways. Do the right thing. Stop sitting in your seat and getting comfortable. Get up and out of your seat. Love me by loving the people around you. You know how I know you really love me? When you realize that there's so much more happening around you than you ever understood. When you realize that you actually can make a difference in the world. You come to church, and you look your best, and that's fantastic. And there's nothing wrong with getting dressed up with church. There's nothing wrong with our rituals. They're great. I am not here to tell you today, oh, religion versus relationship. You, you forget religion. I hate religion, but I love a relationship with God. That's not what I'm saying. A religion is the groundwork. It's the basis for this covenant that we have with God. It's his end, and it's our end. I, bad religion, I hate. Good religion, I love because it represents this covenant that I have with God that he's holding his end up. And so I can come before him and it's not about what I'm wearing. It's about if I've let him in my heart. Stop doing wrong. Give up your old ways. Learn to do right. the oppressed, the orphans, the widows, why don't you give them a seat? Why don't you see those who are homeless? Why don't you clothe your neighbor as yourself? It's not comfortable. I don't look as good as I did 20 seconds ago. White's my color. It's dirty work. But it's the work that God's given us. Learn to do right. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. See, it doesn't all just end in doom and gloom with God. He keeps pushing through. He keeps breaking through. Because now in verse 18, come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Let's settle it. Let's settle it. Let's go to court. That can be intimidating. Go to court with God? I don't want to do that. (laughs) He's got everything on me. (laughs) Though your sins are like scarlet, They'll be white as snow. Though they're red as crimson, they shall be like wool. You fall off the bike and that red blood pours down. God says, let's clean that. You want to know what a life with me looks like? Looks a lot like this. To be honest, you got some marks, but you know it. You got some flaws, but you're aware. You hurt people, but you're trying to learn to do right. See, verse 19. If you are willing And obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. It doesn't say if you're perfect and obedient, it says if you're willing and obedient, you're human, I'm human, we're gonna make mistakes. And when you realize that, when you know you're not perfect, when you stop just taking your religion as a thing of rituals and a checklist of items, but instead it becomes a part of who you are? When it's rooted in your heart? When you're clothing your neighbor? Encouraging the oppressed? Being a friend to the orphans? Pleading the case for the widows? It's not that hard to apply that to modern days, right? Who in your life is hurting? Who can you reach out to? And what do you know about yourself? Where do you need to be cleaned? God's ready and willing. Later on, in Isaiah, we read, could a mother forget her child? And just in case someone had a poor experience with their mother, though she might, it says, I won't. because your names are written on my hands. I have done my mom wrong so many times in my life, and unintentionally most of the time. I promise, Mom. And she's always willing to forgive me. She's always willing to take me back. You know, when I was a kid and I had a temper tantrum. I'm going to let you go settle down now, Danny. But then we're going to talk. When I lied to her about where I was going with my friends, and she finds out. Danny, it made me upset. But if you're ready and willing, we'll talk and I'll forgive you. When I go home and I blow up when we're playing Monopoly and, and I'm not nice to her other kids, and later on, she makes a very kind deal with me to bail me out so I don't get out first because I'm the worst Monopoly player in the world. I'm here for you, Danny. I won't forget you. Once you're ready, I won't. I'm here. Your name is written in my hands. That's not just some metaphor. In those times when Isaiah was prophesying, slaves would often have their master's name tattooed into their hands. And God says, I've written your names on my hands. Well, how does that make sense? God's the master. We're we're his servant. That's how much you mean to him. That's how much he wants you. That's how much he cares about you. This whole big God story doesn't just end with the Old Testament. Doesn't just end with, I gotta make the sacrifices, I gotta do the right things, I gotta be perfect. He comes through for you. The word that's used for written there. In the Hebrew, it's maybe better translated as engraved. And do you know what they used to engrave things back then? A hammer. Does that remind you of anything? A hammer going into the hands? pressing a nail into the hands, etching your name into his hands. He will not forget you. He will not forget you. Are you ready? Are you ready to come back to him? He has not forgotten you. This whole big God story, God is so committed to you. He loves you so much that he'd do anything to have a relationship with you for you to know him. He can't forget you. Your name's are written in his hands. Now don't you forget him. Don't you forget why you're here. And not just in this room, but why you're here. Why you're created. You're created for more than yourself. You're created for more than your traditions. You're created for more than your habits. You're created to love. You're created to care about the things that God cares about. You're created to love the people that God loves. Who is everyone? Hear that message. Turn to God. Respond to Him and come back. I will make you white as snow, he says. And we couldn't say it any better. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word that's given to us. Thank you for being honest with us about who we are and where we're at. We don't deserve your second chances We've, we've abused your second chances because we come back to them superficial, fake. God, we, we want more than that. We want to go deeper. Make us aware of your presence in our heart, not just on the outside. So that we might love you how we should. Not perfectly, but willingly. Willingly. And accepting your love back. Amen.